I'm very pleased today to be joined by Matthias Mersman, who's the Chief Technology Officer of KHD Humboldt VDAG. And he is actually one of our uh, delegates for our digital festival in January. And I pinned him down ruthlessly to join me for a podcast episode. Um, so, Matthias, perhaps could you just give a little flavour to your background and um, yeah, where you're, where you're coming to decarbonisation from? Yeah, first of all, thanks very much for pinning me down so ruthlessly. I really uh, enjoy being part of your podcast. Myself, I have a background in the cement industry for over 25 years. I have, during that time, always been connected to uh, issues of technology, technological development, designing machines and processes for the production of cement, and always have been looking at doing that uh, most efficiently with least possible energy demand and least possible ecological footprint. When you and I first talked, obviously your your role in the cement sector is is as you said to to provide that kind of essential equipment. But it also sounded like you're coming at this from a position of someone who is looking for potential partners so that we can integrate your systems with decarbonisation solutions. Could you just explain a little about you know what you're looking for over the next year or so? From that is true. Uh, that is true. We have to explain that for a period of maybe five, six or seven decades, uh, the way cement plants uh, were built did not really change much. Uh, of course, there were some innovations, which I don't need to list all here. But uh, when we're looking at the challenge ahead uh, in the context of decarbonization, the cement industry is probably looking at its biggest challenge, uh, which it has ever faced. It's not like uh, the cement industry wasn't aware of its carbon footprint. Um, actually, uh, I guess the, the first uh, works have been conducted already more than 20 years ago in the cement industry, uh, targeting at getting a hold on, on the uh, numbers uh, in CO2 emission and also developing technologies to reduce the CO2 emissions. But with this whole process, getting increasingly dynamic in terms of decarbonization and, and the situation is really getting pressing according to the Paris Agreement and, and uh, all the political power that is on the streets in the political area. It's getting ever more concrete and the cement industry uh, has been working uh, quite a lot in reacting on this uh, by shaping new processes, new pieces of equipment, um, but still this is going to lead into a considerable technological revolution in the equipment, in the processes, in, in the plant technology for the manufacture of cement. And for the first time in, I guess, the history of the cement industry, the engineers and people and specialists in the cement industry are faced with the absolute necessity to close technological and business bridges to uh, technologies and other industries which have formerly been separated quite distinctly from the cement industry. We're now talking about integrating technologies that were previously completely uh, separated from the cement world. So that is a challenge and that is what we have to accomplish, closing that bridge. We will come back and sort of talk a bit more about that, but let's sort of just take a step back because I'm, I'm interested in your perspective because although you are 
very much embedded in the cement sector. You're not, you know, you're not the producer. You are the partner to the producer. So from your perspective, what, what is it that's slowing or inhibiting decarbonisation right now? And to, to what extent do you think it is, you know, technological versus organisational versus, I don't know, financial? What, tell me a bit about your viewpoint on that. I don't think there's a clear answer to that already right now. In the end, I guess, what is needed for an accelerated decarbonization is, in the end, stiffer political regulation, no matter through what instrument uh, that is being reached, whether it's, uh, say, a reduction in CO2 emission allowances or a carbon tax or whatever instruments uh, there are, the situation today is that uh, most of the possibilities, the pathways for uh, reduction of carbon footprint of the cement industry are in the end calling for investments and the production price per ton of cement product will suffer badly from, from most of the instruments which would have to be utilized. Some of them uh, are not exactly free of charge. Some are coming even with a financial benefit. If we think about uh, the uh, combustion of alternative fuels, for example, that is even to the direct uh, financial benefit of the cement producer. But the other pathways which in the long run would deliver the right decarbonization potential are uh, calling for higher investments. And um, as long as there is no incentive, or put it in other words, if there is no force, then the cement producers, of course, will will back off and, and will not uh, realize that. So it either needs the, you know, as you're saying, the, the kind of incentive or disincentive, depending how you look at it, of tax or, or something else, or a, a much stronger market pool than we're really seeing yet. That is true. Um, but I have to say that uh, throughout the last maybe one year or even less than one year, I recognize a very strong dynamic situation. Uh, all the market participants of the cement industry have been stating uh, very challenging positions, um, very strong commitments uh, to reduce their carbon footprint, uh, both uh, near term as well as long term. And there is a range of uh, roadmaps uh, that have been developed by several institutions uh, like, like the World Business Council for Sustainability, uh, Cement Sustainability Initiative, International Energy Agency, SEM Bureau, which were on your podcast as well. I guess they uh, presented their, their roadmap as well. So the industry is prepared uh, with uh, a rough way forward, an idea about what needs to be done. Uh, and they are committed to do so uh, still in order to actually materialize uh, what is being outlined in those uh, roadmaps. Uh, it still needs another push, but I'm sure this push is going to come. And the cement industry is prepared to get going 
However, we, we need to understand that uh, it's five minutes to 12. We need to get going now because uh, the, the next years are going to be decisive in order to develop these technologies, which we're going to need further down the road in order to actually really achieve the limitation of, of, the, of the CO2 budget, which we still have in order to reach the Paris uh, Agreement. So does does the kind of the work that, you know, you mentioned SEMBIA as an example, or the IEA, those roadmaps, has that, has that kind of pushed the pressure down sufficiently so that you and your teams are hearing about it from the producers? Or are you interested in it or coming at it from your own drive, or your own push to find partners that you could collaborate with? Uh, of course, our our customers... Uh, which is uh, the cement producing industry. We are the equipment supplier who supply the equipment for our customers to produce cement. Of course, our customers are um, first-hand addressees for the reduction of uh, CO2 uh, emission reduction. But of course, they are going to turn back on us and ask us, hey, can you supply equipment and technology that allows us to reduce our carbon footprints. And we want, of course, to fulfill these requirements and we want to uh, supply these pieces of equipment to our clients. So in the end, we're all in the same boat. Um, everybody comes with his own driver. Uh, our driver certainly is to, uh, to first-hand driver is to fulfill the requirements that our clients are asking from us. And second, of course, to be part of that improvement, uh, to be part of that uh, activity to reduce the carbon footprint of the cement industry. So in the end, we're in the same boat. Uh, I think the industry has, uh, and maybe that is a big step forward, the industry has understood this. While I remember when I was first working on CO2 reduction technologies more than 10 years back, and we figured out that, uh, for example, CCUS technologies would add another, say, 80, 90, 100, 120 uh, euro cost per ton of clinker, uh, and we reported these results, everybody said, are you crazy? Uh, the production cost of, of a regular ton of uh, cement in Central Europe may be, may be only ranging between 40, uh, around 40 or 50 euro per ton, and even, even lower. Uh, you can imagine that this cost increment in production cost is, is far away from being realistic. However, throughout the last year, I think that there is an increasing sense of, of common agreement to the necessity to actually go down this road. We will have to do something about it. Uh, it's going to cost investment. It's going to cost money. All the more important it is that um, the political framework contains some, some elements to safeguard the necessary investments for our clients. Uh, so that they can work on a level play field, maybe with, with uh, carbon borders or, or whatever is possible in order to allow the industry to make that investment without being wiped away then through carbon leakage. There are enough challenges to getting an industry to change without them forcing them to change in a way that is just purely uncompetitive and you know, not to provide support around that. 
Um, although I did see I did see after that podcast actually on our LinkedIn feed some kind of back and forth about uh, the fairness or the reality of uh, carbon border mechanisms and, and things like that. So there's still a lot of conversation and dis- well, I say disagreement, but sort of different positions around that. I think to be resolved. So you mentioned CCUS. One of the things you know we have talked about on some of these podcasts is uh, the kind of the, the most important technologies or the most interesting technologies that people are seeing that could really affect the acceleration of decarbonisation. It's not just technologies that can possibly decarbonize but technologies that can actually accelerate that in a meaningful way so ccus a strong contender for the cement sector what what else are you seeing that you think is interesting or that you know has, has real potential yeah that's true uh, in fact there are um i would say roughly five pathways uh, which are relevant for the uh, reduction of the carbon footprint of the cement industry uh, and and uh, these five pathways, uh, more or less, are uh, the synthesis of the many roadmaps that have been developed already. And some of those uh, are readily available already today. Some of them have still to be developed. Uh, they they all come in in different, not only technological uh, readiness levels. Um, they also come with different cost requirement, they also come with different potentials. And in order to uh, organize uh, well-structured and efficient decarbonization, I think it's of paramount importance to find out a way to implement these different technological pathways in their best suitable sequence and their best suitable form of application. For example, we cannot wait until we have CCUS ready. Uh, this will this will require another, I don't know, five years, six, seven, ten years before we have CCUS uh, in the sufficient volume ready for use. Uh, we have the first pilots uh, being installed right now. Uh, and if you uh, remember, or if you look at the uh, time to market specifics in our industry, it takes some 10 years from, from the idea of, of a technology before you have that ready for implementation in the real, in the real world. So it will take some more five to 10 years, maybe, maybe even longer before we get uh, CCUS technologies really uh, visible in the market. So there are others like um, increasing the use of alternative fuels, which can can also remarkably contribute to the decarbonization. And um, this is available technologically already today. If you look at Europe, I guess we have an average utilization rate of 48%. Uh, using uh, secondary fuels, which means waste-derived fuels for the uh, production of cement. In uh, Austria and Germany, we are up to 70%. But in other parts of the world, uh, we are just beginning to do that. So there's a huge potential in exchanging the fossil fuels by um, most biogenic waste-derived fuels, and that can also make a very valuable contribution. We can start right away doing that. Some cement plants need some technological modification to it, but we're ready to go for that. Next one would be uh, with 
with the big lever, the substitution of clinker in the cement recipe. In, in say ordinary cements, most of the cements, they contain 95% clinker. Clinker is what is really CO2 intense. So if we find ways to put more of other cementitious supplementary materials into that cement mixture, we can almost immediately reduce the carbon footprint of the, the cement production. However, technologically, uh, we are quite well advanced. However, the, the problem is that we need these cements, which are then produced with a lesser amount of clinker, to be fulfilling the quality standards of the several building material, uh, say, regulatory bodies in the world. And that's a big issue. These uh, quality and regulatory bodies in the world, they need to test these low clinker cements on durability and you know durability contains the world long term and it's it's not so easy to to release such a new type of cement for building say skyscraper structures or massive buildings without going the risk that these buildings and structures are prone for collapsing and all this quality and safety issues. Uh, so it's a very complicated feel and, uh, field and it uh, one more time shows that we need the collaboration of many different disciplines and many different people who are all involved in finally producing and using um, mankind's most produced product, which is cement. I know one of the other, it was not a cement specific uh, discussion I was having, was um, was kind of alluding to the fact that one of, one of the biggest challenges for decarbonisation is the fact that we're also used to living and working in quite linear systems. So someone does A, it goes to B, B looks at it, sends it to C, C decides if it's got regulatory, you know, and it's that kind of approach that in a way, you know, it, a systemic change is needed as, as much as technological or, or these other things but I suppose that just then produces so many so many drives for change it must you know it's hard to imagine how we could um, really achieve that but yeah challenge definite challenge there so that was um, CCUS alternative fuels um, substitution of key materials what else is on your kind of you know in your line of vision as important technologies a very basic one is, of course, always uh, to increase the energy efficiency of the production process as such. That is clear to see. Uh, the production of cement uh, is one of uh, mankind's most energy intense production processes, and it, it produces mankind's most produced product. So from that, we can see that uh, the, any, any improvement in the reduction of fuel demand for the production of cement and for the production of cement clinker is always going into the right direction. We, we estimate that, uh, in, for example, in, the, in northern American markets, in, in Russia, in China, and some other areas uh, on the world, we still have quite a good potential to reduce the fuel demand for the production of cement clinker, while in uh, Europe uh, and in Southeast Asia, for example, in India, uh, 
the plants have already reached a level of efficiency where there is no much uh, potential more to be raised. So in, in average, maybe worldwide, there is, uh, there is a potential of maybe 5% additional saving in energy efficiency increase. Then there, is, uh, there are some other technological ways. One, one may be uh, worthwhile uh, naming specifically that came up uh, during the last, I would say, two years only. So uh, we can see that engineers are still finding out new ways, uh, even though uh, the cement industry has been looking at this already for decades. The recarbonization of spent concrete is another interesting idea. If you think of closing the cycle, and recycling is always a good approach uh, for any uh, sustainable approach for reducing ecological footprints. Now, the elegant thing about this is if you want to produce cement, you are driving out CO2 from limestone to produce cement. Now, if you produce concrete from that cement, and later on, after that concrete building has been demolished, maybe some years later, you take that concrete and you reverse that process. So you, you put that CO2 back into that concrete as you have been driving out that CO2 during the production of the, the, the cement. So that's interesting. And it's an idea that closes the, the circle and, uh, and can provide some good potential. However, again, uh, the trouble is in detail. You can imagine if you want to use that spent concrete as a, as a carbon uh, sink, you need to transport this spent concrete to that place where you can put the carbon back in. So it's, it's a logistical problem. Like we have to say, all of those technologies are to a big extent driven by logistical factors. Um, that is one of the very decisive elements in the cement industry anyhow. The cement as such is a very low cost product. A ton of cement costs maybe, depending on, on time and market and region, but let it cost 50 US dollars. Um, and the transportation of this heavy material is very costly. So there's a rule of thumb that maybe within 200 kilometers, uh, that is the radius of your cement business. Because if you exceed that, the transportation costs are so high. And this also uh, applies to all the decarbonization measures. Like if you capture CO2, what do you do with it? Do you have a sink close by? Do you have a cave where you can uh, sequester it? Or do you have a methanol plant close by, or do you have to transport it uh, through uh, 5,000, 10,000 kilometers? Uh, this, is, this is one of the big challenges in actual materialization of all these ideas. These ideas are technically there, but to make them feasible, that's a very project-specific uh, undertaking. I think sometimes when people talk to me about the scalability of a given technology, I tend to be quite black and white about it. But I sort of think, well, it is proven at scale because it's modular or it's this. But actually, that kind of idea of is it scalable? Is is the full value chain associated with it scalable? Is it there? And the answer is not yet. 
not yet. It is not proven that if you've got, I don't know, a plant in somewhere in Central Europe that you can easily transport that CO2 to be part of a, one of the cluster initiatives might seem obvious to others, but that is that is part of the at-scale question, isn't it? Not just is the technology scalable, but is the whole landscape um, at scale? Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's vital. I think um, technology-wise, we may be already oriented towards what should be possible. So engineers will be very uh, busy in, in developing this to, to actually materializable state, technology readiness level six, seven, eight. That'll be okay. The question comes from the economical feasibility. And this economical feasibility is demanding a cooperative approach from policymakers, from businessmen, from market, uh, not on technology may may be the least least problematic field here. It needs to be feasible. It's not possible that the cement producers uh, will have to spend uh, uh, two, three, four times the money for producing their product. They will not be able to survive. So it needs an individual feasibility for each cement producer. And when I say similar producer, I don't mean the, the huge companies that are running one or 200 cement uh, plants. Each and every site, each and every factory needs to be able to produce economically feasible. And that is depending on a lot of local factors, which, which makes it hard to develop a scalable blueprint, which you can cover the whole industry with. Well, let's go back. So when I um, introduced you, I was saying that one of the things that was kind of interesting about your perspective on this is that you're very much looking for those collaborations and partnerships. You know, you're not bringing a CCUS technology to market. You are looking for technologies and partners that you could present as more of a, a multi-party offering, I suppose, to your core client base. So tell me a bit about what, what do you think is going to be needed from those sorts of collaborations for, for this to work? How, how might you find the right companies or how might those collaborations come together and uh, yeah what's going to be needed from them speaking technology uh, first um, we have to change the way cement clinker and cement is being produced uh, we have to change it against a history of more than five or six decades so we have to integrate technologies which had been separated from, from our realm of knowledge so far. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking uh, in the direction of electrolysis, uh, the whole technology that comes in connection with the hydrogen um, technologies, oxygen technologies, methanol, methanolization. So that goes into the direction of the, the chemical uh, engineering um, specifics. Uh, we have to line up with uh, automation uh, specialists uh, because uh, by integrating these technologies into the core cement production process and core cement production and equipment, it needs certainly new control uh, regimes. Um, we need to uh, line up also uh, beyond the technological uh, field of cooperation, we need to line up with people who 
develop the the new business models uh, people who are networking in um, carbon utilization streams uh, sequestering streams we might need to line up with people who know about pipeline um, all kinds of things it's it's such a huge area which we have to to find our way through uh, that it is hard to uh, to, to name it uh, already in, in a ready-to-print form. So I, I need to, to meet these people and then develop together with them a possibility to be able in the future to supply equipment and plants uh, and technological structures to our clients, which they want to produce their cement with in the future. Do you see that those other kinds of groups are open to the conversation or are, are people still perhaps a little more siloed in that kind of old old fashioned way? What, what are you experiencing when you're looking around and perhaps, you know, talking to people from those different sectors? I have to say I'm, I'm really excited, uh, to be honest. Uh, because I feel there's a, there's a new spirit, there's a new movement, uh, there's a new understanding in the in the uh, community of engineers, I would say, uh, at least as far as I can overlook it. Um, have engineers um, often been quite conservative, uh, quite protective uh, about their way of making business about their uh, scope of uh, uh, scope of technologies uh, and uh, executed their their business uh, inside these frames uh, i i feel that uh, recently and under the impression of this new thinking engineers are opening up uh, much more than they did before and in the end I guess this is the spirit why people chose to become engineers in the very beginning. If you ask engineers uh, which have graduated from university about what they wish for them, for, for their job to be, everybody would say, I want an, a job that is interesting. I'm doing a lot of different things every day. No boredom, uh, a wide field of technology. This is what they all want to do. And then they go into, into the real working life. And if you ask them five or 10 years later, uh, you probably get a lot of people answering to you, uh, well, better not change anything. It's, it's all working in here. We never change a working system. But this is not the spirit why people become engineers. Engineers want to do something, create something. And I feel really a revival of the spirit lately. I know I come at all of this as a kind of uh, lay person coming in from the outside, but I really sort of even sense from conversations I had at the start of year to now that there is more momentum somehow, more more excitement in places where perhaps, I don't know, I, I definitely sense that. If I think back to some of the earlier conversations I had with one or two people who I've caught up with more recently, and I, it feels like there is just that sense of perhaps perhaps it can be a positive outcome from COVID, which is a shrugging off of something and that willingness to, to move forward and invest in something, not just invest money, but invest time and energy in something 
new. Absolutely. I, I think it's absolutely true. I, I have the same feeling, and I, I guess the two of us, we're not alone. Uh, it's it's like people are sensing uh, it can be real. It can be real. While uh, it used to be so far away, you know, when, when I started working on on uh, oxyfuel and carbon capture over 10 years ago and we ran out with this with this result it costs $100 per, per ton of clinker more uh, it was immediately pushed aside and it was straight uh, shut down it was away from reality and um, everybody who was involved in that knew that it's going to happen everybody knew that the uh, the carbon footprint of the cement industry was that high six seven eight percent depending on who you ask of all men made uh, co2 emissions is from the cement industry alone everybody who is dealing with this in the cement industry knew it's going to happen we cannot escape from that and someday uh, we are going to be confronted with it but it kept on lingering far away in the horizon and, and it never got the feeling that this is going to be real. And this has changed. Uh, I guess in, throughout the last one or maximum two years, it has changed. People are becoming aware of the fact that it is going to be real. Uh, and at the same time, you know, it's a, always a little bit like, like whip and sweet bread. Um, uh, we, we need at the same time also to do something but at the same time we also feel like it's becoming real it is possible it has a chance to be getting real well matthias thank you so much for talking to me i really enjoyed that and um it was nice to have a sort of combination of the practical and also a little philosophical that definitely always interests me so thank you very much for, for coming along today thank you very much alex it was my pleasure <laughs>